John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said, not everyone was clean. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we begin John 13 through 17, which is maybe the holy of holies in Scripture, when the Son of God, within 12 to 14 hours of his death, uh, lays down at least six things that he wants them to remember. One, I don't want to go to heaven until I've made sure you're clean. That was uppermost on his mind. Two, I'm not going to go back to heaven until I leave you a model of what love and leadership look like. And we'll look at that next week. Uh, thirdly, I'm going to send you the help you need because everybody in this room is going to fail me before the night's over. Judas will betray me. Peter will deny me. And the rest of you will run from me. Everybody in that room that he was going to build a church out of was a war shout on that night. So he said, I've got to send you help. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, I'm concerned that you'll be fruitful while I'm gone. And so he gives them that great teaching of John 15. You can only be fruitful if you abide in me. Then he said, one of the main things you're going to need while I'm gone is you'll need to stay in touch with me. And the way you'll do that, I'm going back to be with my Father, but I'm giving you the gift of prayer in my name so that you can get everything on earth you need by coming to the Father through me. Finally, in John 17, he says, Remember this, I will never cease praying for you the 2,000 years I'm separated from you. For I will not only be praying for you, 
but I'm going to be praying for those who are yet to be saved and who will believe on you. Now we go into a little narrative here in which Christ is going to show the full extent of his love and the cost it the cost it brought to him to love us and to make us clean. It's really a parable. The meaning is on two levels. You, now, you've got to get this. It's a two-level meaning. If it's only washing physical feet, uh, any dummy could figure it out. He, he wore his feet. A guy is culturally insulted. You cannot wash my feet. If you don't, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And boom, that's just, you don't even need the Holy Spirit to figure that out. But notice what he said in verse 7. What I do now, you won't realize. But you will understand hereafter. Hereafter when? In heaven? No. After the cross, after his ascension, after his resurrection, You'll understand, once I get back to heaven, what's happened in this room. You won't get it now. And he uses language like uh, verse 10. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Is he saying uh, all of you haven't taken a bath? No, no. It moves to a spiritual meaning that the clean are those who have believed on him. It's a picture of those that are saved in the room. They will fail miserably, but they're saved. Have you ever failed him since you've been saved? I don't have to leave him to still fail him. I've done plenty of failing as a believer. But there's one of you in the room, you're not even clean. You have not even believed in me. You've never been born again. You've never been justified. You're not my own. Because the devil has had his way in your heart. And so there's a double meaning here, not spiritual versus literal interpretation. No, he literally tells you in the narrative, there's some meaning here deeper than what you guys can get in the room here. But later you're going to pick up what I'm saying. Let's look at the scene. And then I'm going to give you four ways Jesus is cleansing his people today. Okay, because I'm going to focus on this first sermon on he comes to be a cleanser of men. And he's willing to touch our dirt. He's willing to come in contact with our dirty lives in order to get us clean. And the cross cost him his life because he took on the contamination of sinners and let God make him sin for six hours. It's always costly to get people clean. It's wonderful to have your baby's diaper changed, but somebody's got to be willing to get dirty. It's wonderful for sinners to land in heaven clean. Oh, I'm clean. I'm dressed in the robes of righteousness. But this scene is showing us what Jesus had to do to get you clean. He had to get up from where he sat. He had to kneel down. He had to strip off two garments on his outer person, the outer robe 
an inner garment. He was stripped down to the loincloth of a slave. The Jews said in the Midrash, no Jewish slave will ever be asked to wash feet. It is an insult to the Jewish mind to think that Messiah would ever stoop to wash feet. And it was also the thing that's kept Judaism for 2,000 years. I cannot accept the fact of a bleeding, dying, sacrificial Messiah. I want a king to reign, but I don't want a lamb to die. And you might be in this meeting today, and you like a little bit of Christianity, but you've never been to Christ for the cleansing ministry he has, and you have to be cleansed in order to go to heaven. He says something in verse 4. He got up from supper, laid aside his garment, taking a towel, he girded himself. Peter never forgets this because he tells the elders in 1 Peter 5, gird yourselves to serve. And he's quoting right out of John 13. He says of Jesus, what Jesus was thinking in this hour. Verse 3, he knew that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He knew he had all the authority being vested in him by the Father. So he's confident right here, 15 hours from the cross, I've got the Father's good pleasure and authority is being entrusted to me. I'm not doing this out of weakness. This is majesty stooping. This is God the Creator stooping voluntarily, willingly, not subjugated by a Roman sword, not subjugated by the Sanhedrin. I do this of my own voluntary choice. Nobody could get me off the throne in heaven to Bethlehem had I not wanted to. He was not raped and he was not mobbed to get to the cross. He went there on divine assignment on the plan he and the Father and the Spirit had made before the foundation of the world. Amen. He said, I know where I've come from. I know my divine origin. I've been called a demon-possessed man. I've been rejected in John 12. Their eyes are blind. They don't know who I am, but I know who I am. That's an important lesson for us. Everybody else might be wrong about who you are. Do you know who you are? Knowing who you are in Christ is the most important thing. Don't let your boyfriend, girlfriend, the culture, the peer pressure determine who you are. I am what God says I am. And then he says, and I know I'm going back to God. I'm looking beyond Calvary. I'm looking beyond the tomb. I'm headed somewhere. And knowing this, I get up. I shed my outer garments. I stoop. I begin to pour the water. And I begin to wash dirty feet. Now, in the process, he comes to Peter. Now, now, here's the thing. Why didn't one of the disciples get up and wash the feet? You're in the room, and custom demands that a slave normally came with the rental of the room, would be there, and they would be dressed 
sparsely. They were in a servile role. And they were like non-members of the party. Who are you? Had to be a Gentile for the Jews. And, uh, but there's something that Luke 22 says, that while they were walking into the room, an argument broke out among the future leaders of the church. You'll never guess what they argued about. Prophecy. Eschatology. You can't even spell it. You don't know what I just said. Soteriology. Hypostatic union. Trinitarian. No, no, no. They're beyond that. They got in a fight over who would be the greatest among them. Church leaders never fuss about. They fuss over titles. They fuss over position. They fuss over pay. They, you, you'd be amazed how many churches have split over nothing worth spitting at. Just a bunch of ego. Nobody wanting to yield to the Spirit. All went their way. And you know what? Don't look pious at me because I'm talking to you. This is human nature unchecked by the Spirit. Where do I get to part? You know, Ted Montoya had a little sign he painted out there, Staff of the Month. I never did qualify. <laughs> I'd pull up, be searching around here, trying to find. I thought, I'm the Staff of the Month. Get out of the way. Just didn't work that way. I always want Sandy McNeil at all of our church uh, functions, parties, because she grew up in a wonderful black church where the pastor and first lady go first. Around here, I just got to muscle in anywhere I can. <laughs> you folks don't let me go first. You say, get in line with the rest of it. You think you're better? I'm saying, Sandy, get the bishop to the head of the line. I'm starving. God sent Sandy just for me. Because I've had a lot of folks pray I'd be humble. Not a lot of them that I'd succeed. But Jesus, Jesus, look at him. I'm facing the cross. And uh, Peter, uh, you wouldn't wash feet. Thomas, you didn't offer it. Nobody's going to move. That's beneath you. But it's not beneath your Messiah I'd like to wash your feet. Of course, Peter said, no, 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 no. The greater shall not serve the lesser. I've got that figured out. Don't you touch my feet. Jesus said, Peter, really, you don't know what you're saying. You won't have any inheritance, no partnership with me if you don't let me wash you. And a wonderful Peter. Well, man, if that's what it means, I'd pour it on. Although, no, no, no. See, it's loaded with meaning. No, no, no. In an Oriental culture, you took your bath at home. But when you walked to your guest house, you were walking through streets that had animal waste, garbage. Uh, if it was rainy, you were only wearing open sandals. So that's what. And then when they came for the meal, it wasn't uh, Leonardo's uh, Last Supper scene, all sitting at a table. They weren't sitting at a table. They were laying, ha, laying on their side in a circle. And so you better be sure the next guy's feet aren't in your face. They usually went that way. 
and you're leaning like this, you weren't around a table. The feet weren't under it. The feet were right out here. And then the next guy, and so somebody has to wash these feet. You may walk through animal waste, garbage, urine. Who knows? This is first century Palestine. Dirty streets, poor footwear. And the only one in the room that volunteers to do it is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the whole. He's the one that took and made a mud pie and formed it into a man. And he just said, breathe into him the breath of life. You know, Adam was made out of dirt. That's what you're made out of. Ask the skin worms. Get rid of all the embalming. Let's just put you in the ground. Let's see what the skin worms think you're made of. Dirt. But the breath of life was a divine. Just breathe into them like that. It's terrible for dirt to be stuck on dirt, isn't it? How we get stuck on ourselves. Now, what is Jesus saying? I want to cleanse you men. I want to wash your feet. And we will see next week, I want to model to you what your Lord, how he serves. Some of you are too proud to ever be used of God. We already know that. And guess what? Don't worry. He'll shelve you before he'll use you. God resists the proud. He gets his work done through the humble. He gets his work done through those willing to stoop those willing to do anything as long as he gets the glory. And some of you have never got over that. Uh, I love the story of the newspaper reporter that went to a, uh, a leproseum, and while they were there, uh, they came, he saw these open running sores with people with Hansen's disease, and uh, he was repulsed, and he walked up to one of the uh, missionaries and said to them in a sarcastic way, I wouldn't do what you're doing for a million bucks. And the missionary just looked at them and said, and neither would I, but I would do it for Jesus. I'd like to ask you, what would you do for Jesus you wouldn't do for money? What would you do for Jesus you wouldn't do for any other reason? But Christ told me to clean out the toilets for the church. Christ told me to do it. Christ is Lord. If he can stoop, I can stoop. If he can serve, I can serve. And if he's willing to wash dirty feet, I'm willing. You know, physicians have always got to be willing to run the risk of getting the disease they're trying to cure. Because as you come in contact with the patient, you might get their disease. But Jesus said, I'm willing to come in contact with all the dirt in your life. And it will cost me my life. And I'll take it to the cross. He took your diseases with him to the cross. There's four ways that this cleansing Foot washing Jesus cleanses his people. The first way is the bath of regeneration. He calls it taking a bath of regeneration. He cleanses his people in initial salvation. 
Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, We have been saved by the mercies of God and through the washing of renewal by the Holy Spirit by whom you've been justified. When God initially saved you in divine salvation language, he gave you a thorough bath to wash you from all the dirt of your unsaved life. He told the Corinthians something in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at it. It could eliminate many of you from going to heaven, but read it anyway. Look at it. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I'm listening. I'm listening for paper. And go ahead, you techies. I don't care. You're, you're rebellious anyway. Go ahead, David. 6, 9. Two of my leading elders. I mean, they just defy my leadership. Uh, by the way, my brother David honored his wife beautifully yesterday. He fed the rest of us a great meal to say, thank you, Fran, for being my wife. David, it was beautiful. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, in case you think that's some ambiguous term and, well, I'm not unrighteous, he fills in the detail. He, he doesn't want you to be dumb. Do not be deceived. And our culture is. Neither fornicators. Well, man, we just eliminated all kinds of people. That's sleeping with somebody you're not married to. Nobody's doing that. Are you kidding? And, and here in, in Corinth, it's a Greek city. Sex was just something like eating. There were no sexual mores or boundaries. So sex, everybody, come on. Man, we don't have any Christian Judeo ethic here. Come on, we're, we're, we're Greeks. And you're immoral to the hill. He said, well, go ahead. You're just not going to heaven. Uh, nor idolaters. And man, they got temples all over Greece when you study. Nor adulterers, married men sleeping with married women. Nor effeminate men that teach themselves to be feminine that they may be male prostitutes. Nor homosexuals, those who like to have sex with their own sex men and women, nor thieves, nor the covetous, uh, which I want more, I want more, nor drunkards, nor revilers, talking down people, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, he just eliminated everybody at the church. This is how they grew up. This is how they grew up. Now watch this. Such were some of you. And you don't have to look at me, but you know you were listed. Such were some of you. Now notice he didn't say, such are you. Until this becomes past tense, you're not going to heaven. He said, well, I'm still that. Well, we'll love you in the meantime, but you're going to hell. This is the lifestyle of someone that doesn't know God. But you were 
Anybody looking at the text, you're supposed to shout out. Shout out to the pastor. And if you're from Oklahoma, it's washed. But it's washed. I know I've been corrected. But you were washed. In what? But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. What did he wash you in? He washed you in the results of the cross work. That's like a scrubbing bath, and he scrubs you and scrubs you. And honey, what you thought was so deeply stained in you, your immoral life, your bad life, your vulgarity, oh, your tragic back. In a moment, he said, uh, come together. Let's reason, though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. And in one trip, he just scrubbed you, scrubbed you, scrubbed you. And all of a sudden, you come up from putting faith in him. I grew up on altars, so I came up from the altar. I felt like the cleanest boy on 15th and Cutting that night. I said, oh, my land. I remember my dad and sister driving through town. I got down on McDonald. I'll tell you, McDonald looked good. Hotel Don looked Everything in Richmond looked good that night because I'd got my eyes back. He, you know, there's an old song we grew up on. The world got bright when I got right. You, I know you've been thinking they're messed up, but guess what, honey, you've been messed up. You know how I got these? I rolled a car and found out I couldn't see. It helps you get glasses. Just, just survived the wreck. He washed you when he saved you. Second kind of cleansing he does is 1 John 1, 5 through 7. And he says, as we walk in the light... We're walking in obedience. The blood of God's dear Son is cleansing us from all sin. That verse used to really bug me. Look at that. Look at 1 John. Can you find it? Are you better after eight to nine weeks in it? Look at this verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship or partnership with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is continually cleansing us from all sin. Wait a minute. I'm walking in the light. I don't need any cleansing. He didn't say I was walking in darkness, did he? What does your say? And you're going to have to learn to start talking back to me. When I ask you a question, you yell out the answer. This is antiphonal preaching. I want a black church for a moment. Talk back. Look at that verse. Tell me what it says. Thank you. Thank you, white folks. Come on. Look at that verse. I just heard Jake say the other day. I thought, man, I wish I'd get that kind of help. You don't know what I'm talking about because you never shouted in church, but that's okay. We're hoping you chill out. When you're walking even in the light, that means in obedience. You still can get dirty because you've got something in you called a heart. And out of the heart come 
evil thoughts, adultery, murder, hate, envy, jealousy, just all kinds. It's like God saves you, but he leaves enough of the skunk in you that we could smell it once in a while. Sin doesn't reign over me, but it remains in me. And someday I want to get rid of it like a bad tooth. And what a day that will be. But I don't know about you. I could be, have you ever been praying and all of a sudden some weird thought come in your head? Pastor Tim was talking to me at a great prayer meeting last week. And he was praying. He said, God was scrubbing him so deep that things 11 years ago or 7 or 8, just things back. He said, you know, I'm going to talk to you about this. Have you ever had, while you're trying to pray or sing in church, something you did when you were 13, didn't even know God, flashes through your mind, said, what in the world is Susie Q doing there? I broke up with her a long time ago. I wasn't even there. Where did it come from? Or all of a sudden, you just, while you're reading Psalms, you said, you know, I really don't like them. Wait, wait, you're in Psalms 20, the Lord's my shepherd. And by the way, Lord, I don't like that person. Don't bless him today in Jesus' name. Wait, wait, you're walk, are you walking in the, I'm praying. I'm serving God. I've been in the pulpit preaching. And some thoughts have run through there at times. You don't want to know. That's why I was laying for some of you. Nope. I mean, I could be preaching. I could be praying. I could be walking in the light. I keep needing this cleansing effect of the cross work of Christ. Scrubbing me. Cleansing my thought life. My motives. My behavior. It's ongoing. Whether I'm in an act of sinning. I, I, no. It's just, just, being, just being in a room with no one. I can get to feeling dirty. And I would if it wasn't for this ongoing application of the work of the cross. He is cleansing me at all times. Then thirdly, once in a while, I sin. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's once in a, a while. Verse 9, third cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, part of this initial bath and ongoing cleansing of the Savior, from all unrighteousness. Now, you know what I think is interesting today? When we confess... What? Let me give you some new names we've got. Let me see here. Uh, today, what if I said this? I want to confess that I'm an alcoholic. Well, I don't know any place that's in the Bible. Just say, I'm a drunkard. You got to call it what God calls it or he might get confused. Or, 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 Lord, I'm gay. 
Well, I am too, if you mean I'm happy in Jesus. Uh, you mean you're homosexual. You're a lesbian, right? But, but, but tell it to him. Or, or here's one. Lord, I, I want to confess. Well, now watch how tricky we've done things. I'm having an affair. Hmm, an affair. What is that? Let's say I'm nine years old. I'm the son. Daddy, tell me what an affair is. At school, we don't use it the way you are using it. That the senator's involved in great affairs, and I'm afraid there could be both kinds. <laughs> you, you don't use the culture's language to call your sin. You call it what God calls it. Like, you know, we kill with little kids. Uh, if I told a fib, what's a fib? Ah. See, as soon as you can, start calling your little child a thoroughbred sinner. You are a sinner, and you sin. When I was in Bible college, Dr. Brock had five sons, and he would often do chapel, and... Uh, he said he would always go to his boys. He said all of his boys were liars, all five of them. And he said when he would, they'd get in trouble, he'd get them. And Dr. Brock was a very thin man. But he said he would get his sons, and he'd get them by the shirt right in the scuff. And he would just, I can't imagine, because he's such a small man. And he'd get them, and he said, you're lying to me, aren't you? No, 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 Daddy. Tell me the truth. You're lying. Dad, dad, yes, I am. How did you know? Because your daddy's a liar. <laughs> I know all about this. And it takes one to know one. Call sin what God does or you'll never get cleansed. You can't dance around about it. Don't redefine it. Call it what he calls it. And he makes you a promise. I'll be faithful or reliable, and I'll deal with it justly. And where did God justly deal with the sin you confessed? The cross. The full judgment of God fell on that sin. As we do not re-crucify Christ. Once was enough for all time. Hebrews 10. And then I'm faithful and I'll do two things. I will cleanse you, and I'll cleanse you from the sin, and I'll forgive you. I'll send it away. Now, some of you here, you've done some mighty bad things since you've become even a believer. I'm amazed at how much messing up you can do as a believer. But I know of a man that he prayed this prayer. Listen to it. It goes like this. Now, you've got to remember, this is one of the greatest men of all time. He's a man that um, hid his sin for nearly 10 months. Uh, he wanted a little bit of sex so bad he'd kill the woman's husband, even though he already had seven wives. This is one of the greatest criminal, dastardly, low-down, rotten acts ever recorded in the Bible. It's low-down to steal my wife 
and you still got seven at home. Come on. You're not that viral. You just want more. You just can't be satisfied. That was prior to Mick. You're wrong. You're treacherous. You're wicked. And Hittite, Uriah was a Gentile that had got into the king's army from overwhelming loyalty, overwhelming feats in battle. This was one of the greatest men on the pages of Scripture that won't even go home and sleep with his wife as long as the king's troops are in the field. What a man, what a man, what a man. But David, you brought on the throne at this time, laying around and lusting, and you won't stop at anything. Who's a loyal man in your army? Kill him. I want his woman. And then for 10 months, he covers up, covers up. He doesn't say anything to anybody. And according to Psalms 32, 38, and 51, he said, God's hand was heavy on me. I made my pillow swim with my tears. My bones ate. He's having psychosomatic effects. Uh, there wasn't any Benadryl and there wasn't any Valium. God was not letting him sleep at night. You're wrong, David. And David, once God sends a prophet down to confront him, he said this, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop. And hyssop was a plant that you remember in Exodus 12, they applied the Paschal lamb's blood on the doorpost. And it was used when a leper came to get a clean bill of health from the priest. He would take that hyssop plant, dip it in blood, sprinkle it on this leper, and give him a clean bill of health, have the disease healed. And David saying, oh, that I could get before the priest and they could give me a clean bill of health, but I'm dirty to the core. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Where does a murderer, an adulterer, and a betrayer ever find a fountain deep enough to wash this out? What David did not realize, God would take four boys in this life and his greatest son would have to go to the cross to wash him. It would cost the life of the son of David, the Messiah. And he said, I can never get you clean without the cross. So what I'm doing in this upper room is what I'm going to do at the cross. I'm going to stoop and instead of pouring out water, I'm going to pour out my life's blood. And I'm going to be poured out and broken for you because I'm the only agent that can cleanse the deep, deep, deep stain of sin. And only Jesus, if you're here and you know you're stained, if you've done things you don't want anybody to ever know, you know how filthy you've been in your mind, your conversation, your body, let me tell you, Jesus alone is willing to come in contact with your dirt and scrub it out. Scrub it out. That's what the cross is all about. Scrub you clean. There is a fountain filled with blood. 
drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stain. I'm telling you, I, I, uh, when I thought about this, at home I pulled out my old song book of songs that only the elect know, so you don't know them. Uh, and, and it was a song that goes this way. Come you sinners, come you sinners and hopeless. Jesus' blood can make you free, for he saved the worst among you. When he saved a wretch like me. And it's simple, the course. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood. I want to get it. Can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. I thought you'd like that so good. I got the second stanza. In temptation, he is near thee, holds the powers of hell at bay, guides you to the path of safety, gives you grace for every day. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, and I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Uh, I want to tell you, when I came to town 42 years ago, I brought in my satchel a little bottle of medicine. And I prayed in the early days. Bring me the broken. Bring me the divorced. Conservative church doesn't know what to do with you if you've been divorced. Jesus does. Uh, bring me the girl that's had 15 boys take her to bed, but still has never been loved. Bring me the boy that's strung out. Never had a dad. Bring me the, bring me the, the wastelands. Or bring me all these backslidden Pentecostals I grew up with. They don't think they can live it. They washed out. They're backslidden like my brother David was. Bring them. Bring them. Because you see, in this container is a gospel medication and formula that says, I haven't seen anything so deep, so bad so ugly, so terrible, that my gospel medicine can't make you whole. It can make you whole. That's the gospel. Good works won't do it. Legalism won't do it. Catholicism won't do it. And being a Protestant and dead in your tracks won't do it. But coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus as you are, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me Oh, Lamb of God, I come. I come. I come. Come. Let us reason together. Isaiah 1.16, he said, wash yourself from your sins. But they couldn't do it. So verse 18, he said, oh, I notice you're not getting too far on the wash job. Come to me. I can wash you. 
crimson and scarlet. I've got something in this gospel that it can take the worst, the lowest. I wish I could remember exactly. You helped me, Malcolm, what Mel Trotter said when other people wanted to build like palaces. He said, I'll, I'll build a rescue mission next to the mouth of hell. I got a guy, Mel Trotter, a man that when his little girl died at uh, less than two years of age was such a drunk that he asked everybody to leave the room while he viewed his girl's body. And while everybody left the room, Mel Trotter took off her little slippers and took it out of it, left the funeral home and bought a bottle of wine to get drunk again. But God tracked Mel Trotter down in Chicago and saved him, and he helped start the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And it's been going 50, 60, 70 years telling sinners in the worst part of town, come you sinners, defiled, dirty. I want to tell you about a Messiah that got up off a throne, laid aside all the external manifestations of his deity, and he knelt down at Bethlehem. And then he went on over to Bethany, and then he wound up in an upper room. And then he went to a cross. And then he went to a tomb. And he said, I can make you clean. Can the lepers remove his spots? No, come to me. I'm the creator. You need a savior. Some of you are dirty through and through. Your mind, your body, your background. Come to Jesus. He'll make you feel like you had a bath. And that God poured nothing but Chanel number five in it. And you were going out there and said, I've been smelling like a hog. I'm now smelling like heaven. I've been bathed. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm clean. I'm clean. Oh, thank God I'm clean. I end with a final cleansing. Because, see, I'm back. These other guys ruined it for me. They quit on time. So they hurt me. Not really. He said in 2 Timothy 2, there's another cleansing you need. And he said to a young pastor, Timothy, if you'll cleanse yourself from cheap talk, cleanse yourself from being lazy to study, if you'll cleanse yourself from all hymenias and philitis, and if I get you cleansed from all of this garbage going and blowing through the church at Ephesus, he said, if you will cleanse yourself, watch out. Because verse 19 said, the foundation of God stands sure. It has this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let all who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. For in a great house there's many vessels, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. But you, O man of God, if you will cleanse yourself from the things I've told you, you will become a vessel fit for the master to use. Some of you, God wants to use you, even as believers, but you won't let him wash your feet, and you know you're dirty. You got a pornography habit going. You got bad language. You got secret sins, and, and you can never get going because you won't let him cleanse you. You see, there's no using you until he cleanses you. Because God doesn't do his best work through dirty people. 
He does it through dirty people that come to him and say, would you wash me? Cleanse me. You see, when God first called me to preach, I, I grew up in neighborhoods where everybody cussed. I knew, you, I knew how to say Joe Mama, and I knew how to say she wore combat boots. And I cut low with you all day and cuss you because I grew up down on cutting, and we like to cuss, and we like to scrap. And when God started calling me to preach, he used Isaiah 6 at a youth camp, and I wrestled with him for three months, and this was my biggest problem. I said, oh, Lord, I know how to cuss. I know how to cut low. And I know how to talk about your mama. But I don't know how to get these lips clean. How could you ever get the gospel to come over these lips? And I, on my knees, he said, I said, woe is unto me. Then I saw the seraphim fly. And they took coals from off the altar. What happens at the altar? It's called atonement. Covering for sin. And God said, I will take my spirit. And I'm going to take your lips, and I'm going to apply the work of the cross. And Joe Mama's going to drop. And you dirty so-and-so is going to drop. And I'm going to replace it with gospel. I'm going to replace it with a new vocabulary. Because i got to first cleanse your lips, son. And once I clean you up in your mouth and in your heart and in your moral outlook, then I'm going to use you. Are you willing? But Lord, I'm going to lose all my friends. Lord, I'm going to be lonely at Richmond High and Helms. Do you want to walk with me or run with the crowd? In some way, he gave me enough grace and gumption to say, give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Some of you, God would use you, but you've got to get sick of the hog pen and you got to get sick of the dirty lips. you got to get sick of the pornography and looking at women, cussing, messing around, dabbling in sin. If you would let him scrub you, he wants to use you. But he's not going to let you smell like a hog. He wants you to smell like the lamb. The lamb. We're not children of the hog. We're children of the lamb. He wants to cleanse you. Father, I ask that people here that are dirty throughout, many unsaved, they're, they're soiled, they're dirty, they've never been moral, they've never been right at heart, dirty in mind, dirty in body, just sinners, sinners, sinners. But you're the fountain. You're the cleansing. And Father, we need so many people to get the work done. And many never volunteer because they're still in sin. Their sin might be pride. They're too proud to fail. They're too proud to get their feet, to get their hands in the old dirty water. Saints' feet get pretty dirty. And we've got to come in contact with dirt. Even to reach this fallen world, we've got to come in contact with the dirt. Turn us into servants. Cleanse me, O oh Lord.